Chapter 31 of Crips the Carrier by Richard Doddridge Blackmore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 31 Throw Physic to the Dogs. In all my life I never knew such a very extraordinary thing, said Squire Allglander on the following Tuesday to his old friend Dr. Splinters. Why, look you here. He was wholly given up by the very first man in London. That, that poor young fellow was. Can you deny that, Splinters? Well, between you and me and the doorpost, Squire, answered his learned visitor, I am not quite so sure that Sir Anthony is quite the rose and crown of the profession. He may be a great court card and all that, and the rage with all the nobility. But for all that, Squire, there are good men in comparatively obscure positions, men who have devoted their lives to science from the purest motives, Modest men, sir, who are thankful to pocket their poor guinea, men who would scorn any handle to their name or any shabby interloping, sir. I say there are darn good men. But even you, Splinters, come now, even you gave him up, unless we are wholly misinformed. Not at all. That was quite a mistake. The fact was simply this. When Sir Anthony pronounced his opinion at our last consultation, it was not my place to contradict him. We never do that with a London man, but I ventured in my own mind to differ even from our brilliant light, sir, for I said to myself, first see the effect of the remedial agent which I myself, in the absence of this Londoner, have exhibited. I was suddenly called away to retrieve a case of shocking blundering by a quack at Ifley. That is why you do not see me, squire. Oh, yes, to be sure. I quite see now answered Mr. Oglander with a quiet internal wink. And when you came, you found the most wonderful effect from your remedial agent. That I did. Something I could scarcely have believed. Soft, sweet sleep, a genial perspiration, an equipole pulse, nice, gentle breathing, the very conditions of hygiene which Sir Anthony's efforts could never produce. Why, my good sir, in all the records of the therapeutic art, there is no example of such rapid efficacy. I think it will henceforth be acknowledged that Dr. Splinters knows what he is about. My dear friend, you know that there is nothing I dislike so much as the appearance of vaunting. If I had only condescended to that, nobody could have stopped me, sir. But no, squire, no. I have always been the same, and I have not an enemy except myself. You may say more than that, sir, a great deal more than that. You may say that you have many friends, doctor, who admire your great abilities. But as to Russell Overshoot, if the poor fellow does come round, the general belief will be that he must thank the fire-bell. The fire-bell! My dear sir, in this age of advanced therapeutics, Oglander, you must know better than to listen to that low story. Splinters, I know that foolish tales are told about almost everything, but being there myself, I thought there might be something in it. Nothing whatever. I never heard such nonsense. I was quite angry with Esther Cripps. What can chits of girls know? They must have their chatter. I suppose they must, said the squire sadly, thinking of his own dear grace. Still, they may be right sometimes. At any rate, doctor, the fire-bell did as much good as your medicine did. Take another glass of wine. I would not hurt your feelings for the world, my dear old friend. Oglander, 
answered Dr. Splinters, putting up his great gold spectacles, so that beneath them he might see, for he never could see through them, how to pour out his fine glass of port. Oh, Glander, you have something or other that you are keeping in the background. Squire, whatever it is, out with it. Between you and me, sir, there should be nothing but downright yes or no, Mr. Oglander. Downright yes or no, sir. Of course, of course, said the squire, relapsing into some quiet mood again. That was how I always liked it, Splinters. You must know I did, and I never meant anything against it by bringing this here little bottle back. It may have saved the poor boy's life, and of course it did, if you say so. But the seal is still on the cork, and the stuff all there, so it may do good again. I dare say the good came through the glass. You doctors have such devices. Mr. Oglander took a small square bottle from his inner peculiar pocket and gave it to the doctor so as not to disturb his wine glass. How the deuce did you get a hold of this? cried Splinters, being an angry man when taken without notice. This is some of that girl's insolent tricks. I call her an insolent and wicked girl. I call her a good and brave girl, the very best girl in Beckley since. But, my dear Splinters, you must not be vexed. She told me that you had the greatest faith in this last idea of yours, and it struck me at once that you might wish to try it in some other case. And so I brought it. You see, it has not been opened. It doesn't matter whether it was used or not, cried Splinters vehemently. There is the stuff, sir, and here is the result. Am I to understand, sir, that you deny the existence of providence? Far be such a thing from me, the squire replied with a little indignation at such an idea, and then remembering that Splinters was his guest, he changed the subject. How could I help having faith in the Lord when I see his care made manifest? Why, look at me, Splinters. I am twice the man I was last Sunday morning. Why is it so? Why, because it pleased a gracious providence to make it my duty as a man to ride. To ride, sir, a very considerable distance, on a mare who had been eating her head off. Everyone vowed that I never could do it, and my good housekeeper locked me in, and when I unscrewed the lock she sent two men after me to pick me up. Very good, sir, here I am, enjoying my glass of port, with the full intention of having another. Yesterday I sent to our road contractor for a three-headed and double-handed hammer, and Kale smashed up in about two minutes three hundred and twenty medicine bottles. They will come in for the top of the orchard wall. Squire, answered Splinters with a twinkling eye, it is not at all impossible that you may be right. There are some constitutions so perverse that to exhibit the best remedial agent is just the same thing as to reason with a pig, but it is high time for me to be jogging on my road. If Beckley and Shotover discard my extremely humble services, there are other places in the world, sir, besides Beckley and Shotover. There is no other place in the world for you except Beckley, for some hours, my friend. We have known one another long enough to allow for one another now. I would have arranged a rubber for you, but, but, well, you know what I mean, sadly selfish, but I cannot help it. The doctor, though vain and irritable, was easily touched with softness. He thought of all his many children, and of the long pain he had felt at losing one out of a dozen. Then, without process of thought, he felt for the loss of one, 
where one was all. Oglander, you need not say another word, he answered, putting forth his hand to squeeze any trifle away between them. A rubber in winter is all very well, and so it is in summer at the proper time. But on a magnificent spring evening to watch the sunset between one's cards is not. I mean that it is very nice indeed, but still it ought scarcely to be done when you can help it. Now I will take the leastest little drop of your grand curacao before I smoke. And then, if you have one of those old manillas, I am your man for a stroll in the garden. To go into a garden in good weather soothes the temper. The freedom of getting out of doors is a gracious joy to begin with, and when the first blush of that is past, without any trouble there come forward so many things to be looked at, even since yesterday, if we had the good hap to see them yesterday, many thousand of little things have spent the time in changing, even with the weather scarcely different from yesterday's, though differ it must in some small points when in its most consistent mood, even with no man to come and dig and fork and roll and by all human devices harass, and even without any children dancing, plucking, pulling, trampling, and enjoying their blessed little hearts as freely as any flower does. Yet in the absence of all those local contributions towards variety, variety there will be for all who have the time to look for it. The most observant and delightful poets of the present age, instead of being masters of nature, prefer to be nature's masters. Having obtained this power, they use it with such diligence and spirit that they make the peach and the apple bloom together and the plum keep the calendar of the lilac. Once in a way such a thing does almost happen, without the poet's aid, that is to say when a long cold winter is broken by a general outburst waking every dormant life, and after that a repressive chill returns and lasts to the May month. At such a time, when hope deferred springs anew as hope assured, the fear breaks into fluttering joy, and the faith moves steadily into growth, then a truly poetic confusion arises in the works of earth. In such a state of things, the squire and the doctor walked to and fro in the garden, the squire still looking very pale and feeble, but with the help of his favorite spud, managing to get along and enjoy the evening. The blush of the peach wall was not over, and yet the trellised apple tree was softly unsheathing puckered buds, all in little clusters pointed like rosettes of coral. The petals of the plum bloom were still hovering with their edges brown, although in a corner near a chimney positively a lilac bush was thrusting forth those vivid jags which lift and curve themselves so swiftly into plumes of beauty. The two good gentlemen were surprised. Each wanted particularly to hear what the other thought of it, but neither would deign to ask and either feared to speak his thoughts for fear of giving the other an advantage, because they were rival gardeners, and so they avoided the subject. This is the very first cigar, said the squire as they turned at the end of the peach wall, over against a young gross mignon, beautifully trained on the Seymour system, and bright with a central glow of pistol, although the petals were dropping. My very first cigar since that... You know what I mean, of course since I have cared whether I were in my garden or in my grave, but the Lord supports me, providence is good, or how could I be smoking this cigar? You must not learn to look at things in that way. 
Dr. Splinter answered. Oglander, you must learn to know better. You are in an uncomfortable frame of mind, or you would not have flouted me with that bottle. After all our friendship, why, bless me, only look around you. Badly pruned as your trees are, what a picture there is of largeness. Yes, splinters, more than you could find in yours, which you amputate into a doctor's bamboo. But now perhaps you may doubt it, splinters, because your trees are so very poor. But I have not felt any pride at all, any pride at all in one of them. What is the good of lovely trees with only one's self to enjoy them? Now, Oglander, there you are again. How often must I tell you, your poor little Gracie's gone, of course, and a nice little thing she was, to be sure. But here you are again as well as ever, or at any rate as positive. I judge a man's state of health very much by his powers of contradiction, and yours are first rate. Go to, go to. You are equal to another wife. Take a young one and have more Gracie's. Splinters, do you know what I should do? Mr. Oglander answered with his spud uplifted. If my powers were such as you suppose, because I smashed your bottles? Yes, I dare say you would knock me down and never beg my pardon till the wedding breakfast. You are right in the first part, but wrong in the second. Oh, Doctor, is there no one able to share the simplest thoughts we have? To minister to a mind diseased, first he must have his own mind diseased, as all the blessed poets have. But look, the green fly, who would ever believe it after our Siberian winter? The aphis is hatched in your young peach shoots before they have made even half a joint. That comes of your Seymour system. Ridiculous, answered the squire. But never mind, what matter now? Then you really do think, Splinters, now as an old friend tried to tell me, in pure sincerity, do you think that I have altogether lost my Gracie? Oh, Glander, no, I can truly say no. We are all good Christians, I should hope. She is not lost, but gone before. But, my dear fellow, will you never understand that she ought to have gone long after? It is all very well for you who have got some baker's dozen of little ones and lost only one in the measles. Forgive me, I know it was hard upon you. I say things that I should not say. But if you could only bring your mind. However, I dare say you have tried to do it, and what right have I to ask you? Splinters, I know I am puzzle-headed, and many people think me worse than that. But you have the sense to understand me, because... For many years you have been acquainted with my constitution. Now, splinters, tell me in three words, shall I live to see my Gracie? That you will, squire, and to see her married, and to dance on your lap her children. So said Dr. Splinters, fearing what might happen if he did not say it. Only to see her, that is all I want, and to have her in my arms once more and to hear her tell me, with her own true tongue, that she never ran away from me. After that I shall be ready for my coffin, and know that the Lord has ordered it. Here comes more of your dust into my eyes. Splinters, will you never learn how to knock your ash off? End of chapter 31